The Lace Dress Auntie Hilda was a high-end couturier and also conducted dressmaking courses. The course girls hardly ever saw the wealthy couture customers. The tailors for the customers' clothes had been with Auntie Hilda forever, as had Auntie Minnie, whom she called her friend, but who was a kind of companion, really. I'd learned dressmaking here, worked with Auntie as her assistant, then chief assistant, and for the last few years, as partner. Every year, for as far back as I can remember, she'd have a bout of depression, I suppose one should call it. As a certain date approached, she'd become nostalgic and weepy. She'd bring out a grainy old black and white photograph in a silver frame a young man in a dark-coloured suit, slender, tall and handsome, and herself at his side, looking impossibly curvy and young. They were affianced and soon to be married. But he died, and she never let another man enter the bastion of her faithful heart. She grieved for him every year, after the photograph had been wept over, the lace would come out. A heavy ivory gipio lace, it was exquisite. It was beyond exquisite, the most gorgeous lace in the world. It was thickly encrusted with flowers. Pointy petaled flowers and round petaled flowers, intertwined with leaves and indescribable curlicues. They were at multiple levels, so there was a continuous tracery that formed the body of the fabric, and then there were overlayers of petals that could flutter and move. Some of these were edged in silver thread, so the whole fabric glinted in the light. She'd bought it for her own wedding gown, and it had tragically not been needed. Once a year, it was released from its muslin cocoon and aired out. After a few days, we'd roll it all up again and she'd pack it away safely. Slowly, she'd dial back the despondent mood and in a week, she'd be back to normal. This, with the lace, was an annual ritual and all of us old-timers knew it well. This year, I noticed her mood changing earlier than usual. She withdrew from the classes and attended on very few customers. Strictly no brides. I covered for her, as always. The photo came out, then the lace. And then, she made a heart-stopping announcement. She wanted to cut and stitch it to make a long dress for herself. Cut it? That lace, which we'd almost worshipped these many years? It was inconceivable. Auntie Minnie was in tears. The tailors were dumbstruck. I actually shuddered. But she was certain. 
its time had come under the umbrella of auntie hilda's certainty i brought out the thin paper for the pattern we knew we had to extend the back shoulders and raise the back neck to cover the hump in her back we had to shorten the front shoulders similarly her left hip had to be an inch wider than her right and the dress had to be an inch longer on that side to make the hemline look straight we had to put darts in the front of her arms eyes so they wouldn't reveal what she primly called her unmentionables the pattern was simple fitted across her still robust bosom and floating gracefully down to her ankles so that the beautiful fabric got full play scattered pearls to dot the lace that's it so the paper pattern was a breeze i drew the lines authoritatively in red and blue pencil the paper scissors cruised through the crackly paper auntie sat in her raised chair and supervised every step her eyes focused on the cutting table she asked me to lay out the heavy cream colored satin that would be the lining of the dress i marked it with marking papers and a dressmaker's wheel on her nod i brought the heavy fabric scissors with their gold colored handles and cut through the satin fabric without a moment's hesitation then auntie hilda asked me to lay out the lace i was exhilarated filled with light myself on the inside to be folding caressing and smoothing this ethereal fabric I pinned the paper pattern in place with colorful pearl-headed pins and they stood out like gemstones against the old magnolia-colored lace. I double-checked everything. The pattern on the front and back lined up perfectly at the side seams. It would appear almost seamless. Time to make the first cut. And then panic struck suppose i'd made a mistake this material was not replaceable not for love of money i turned to auntie with frightened eyes let's cut a sample dress first auntie she looked at me in a most un auntie hilda like sweet serene way and said no my child it's perfect you haven't put a step wrong it's just a dress go on cut it but i was completely overcome by nerves that fabric had too heavy a history for me my hands were trembling i dared not put scissors to fabric in that condition i pressed my hands to the cutting table i washed them with warm water i walked around to relax the trembling stopped and i returned to the cutting table and reached for the scissors and i was quivering uncontrollably again finally auntie got off her chair and picked up the heavy scissors herself i was relieved but also nervous she hadn't cut anything in years i'd taken over all of that but her fingers slipped into those scissors as if they were going home she looked younger 
straighter and a warm glow surrounded her. The scissors went through the fabric with confident authority. I moved in to roll up the fabric into lots. Front, back, top, skirt panels. The tailors were summoned and given their instructions. They looked as nervous as I'd felt. But she was cool and certain and she oozed confidence into us. The work started. They outlined and pinned and tacked and as Auntie Hilda watched over them, the dress slowly and successfully came together. She tried it on and we checked everything meticulously. The zip and the back seam were already machine stitched. Everything else was only hand tacked as yet. It fell smoothly in soft folds to her fragile ankles, skimmed her hips gracefully. The hemline was straight as an arrow, the neckline sat snug on her aged chest, never shifting or gaping, the arms eyes hugged her crepey old arms decorously and no unmentionables peeped through. Auntie Minnie cautioned her, but it's not going to fit you when it's ready if you keep starving yourself. That was the first I'd heard of it, but instantly I knew it was true. Auntie Hilda swatted her friend playfully and told her to be off with her. She was just fine. She produced four boxes of pearls that even I'd never seen before in all these years. There were round ones in three different sizes and one box of teardrop-shaped ones. The dress was taken apart again and the sides, top and bottom were carefully overlocked so that no loose threads would cause the lace to unravel. Then the tailors were given detailed instructions for the handwork. Which pearl should be stitched into the centre of which flower? The round ones were to be stitched in and the tiny teardrop ones were to be left dangling enticingly. They were all stitched in silver thread so it would add to the subdued radiance of the dress. The tailors were allowed to start work on the dress only when Auntie Hilda was in place beside them. They'd lay out a fresh, clean base fabric, bring out the bundles and parcels of the lace dress and commence work under her watchful eye. She refused to eat or drink or talk during these sessions. We learned to leave her alone with the tailors and her dress. More and more frequently, I'd hear Auntie Minnie berating her about not eating. This was most unlike Auntie Hilda. She normally went to her meals with gusto. Usually I didn't get into this side of things, but when the scolding from the dining room became too much, I finally weighed in. I told her we'd have to make a hundred alterations to her lovely lace dress if she lost any more weight. That had its intended effect and she resumed eating, Auntie Minnie confirmed. With nothing like her usual eagerness, but she did eat. So the bickering was reduced and harmony reigned between them again. In the meantime, 
All the pearls were finally fixed with the exact level of tension as approved by Auntie Hilda and the garment was put together again. It hung on a padded and silk beribboned hanger. That incomparable lace, the gleaming satin underlayer, the gentle glow of the pearls, the subtle shimmer of the silver flower tips and the thread stitching, the flutter of the 3D petals and the timorous sway of the teardrop pearls. How can I describe to you how beautiful it was? It made my heart tighten in my chest and ache just to look at it. The tailors brought out a long muslin sleeve to cover it as usual. But she asked that it be hung just like that, open in her room. She thanked them and me very formally and said we'd done an excellent job for her and she was proud of us. We were embarrassed, but she insisted that we deserved the praise. Now that it was ready, I felt she looked a bit wilted and tired. It had taken the stuffing out of her, getting it perfect. She could rest now, I thought. That evening, she asked me to stay back. She went into her room with Auntie Minnie and came out a while later wearing the lace dress and a pair of satin slippers. Her thin, papery skin wrinkled and crepey, her soft, cushiony contours, her pale features, bright eyes and sweet, sad smile were the perfect backdrop. Auntie Minnie and I cheered and smiled through our tears. I made her do a small walkabout, a few slow turns and recorded it all on video. She was shining and radiant and so happy in that dress. This dear old lady in a bridal gown and no groom on the horizon. She sent me off home with a small pat on my cheek and then changed back into her everyday clothes. Auntie Minnie and she had a simple dinner together and then turned in for the night as usual. That was yesterday. As we know now, later that night, in the quiet privacy of her bedroom, she somehow put on her bridal gown and satin slippers again, lay down in her bed and drifted off quietly and efficiently to rejoin her beloved fiancé awaiting her on the other side. Auntie Minnie found her this morning lying serenely in her bed in that utterly splendid dress with a gentle smile on her lips. That lace dress took more than half a century to fulfill its destiny. But it got there in the end. <laughs>